This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. So Manchester City are looking good at the top of both the Premier League and their Champions League group, but while it was a simple week domestically, on the continent, Pep Guardiola's side faced another tough challenge from Lyon. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll discuss the talking points from those games. How influential has Aymeric Laporte become? What role will Leroy Sané play for the season? Why didn't Phil Foden get more than 90 seconds in France, especially with all the injuries City had in midfield? What's with Pep's cardigan? Also on today's show, we'll hear from Gary James, who's telling us about the impact Johnny Hart's had at Main Road, while Howard Hawkins taking a trip to the post-apocalyptic future. More on that in a bit. The Premier League takes centre stage again this week too, as City face both Bournemouth and Watford in their quest to stay on top of the table, or maybe even extend their lead even further, who knows. Don't forget to send your questions in for Ask the Panel on next week's show. We'll come to this week's towards the end of today's episode. Tweet us at Blue Moon Podcast, or you can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. I'm your host this week, David Mooney, and I'm joined by two City fans, Gaz, the Burnage Daydream. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Good to hear. And amongst other things, noted horticulture expert, Chris Higginbottom. <laughs> I hope you're right. How are you doing? Nice <laughs> not, to have you back. Not too bad. Right then, so uh, two games to uh, to kick us off with uh, this week. Obviously starting with uh, the, the league game at West Ham. Uh, Chelsea dropped points, City actually pulled further away from, from Liverpool in the end. What what did you make of, of how the weekend kind of went? The same every week, isn't it? It seems to be at the moment, just giving somebody a drub in. Um, yeah, it went fantastically well. But it's, it's, I mean, it's it's funny that, I mean, you, you say that the, the same every week. I mean, I, I still don't feel like City have really clicked yet this season. Does that make sense? It's hard to without the key players that we've been losing, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I think the, about this time last year, it was really good, wasn't it? I think this was about sort of Southampton time last year. When we this this was the flow, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think we, we've obviously been playing good stuff. We're scoring four and five every week, so I don't know if I'd quite. I'm not. Well, this thing. I'm not saying they're not playing good stuff. I just feel like like there's. I feel like they could go up a couple of gears still. Mm. I feel like they've not hit top gear yet. And last season we were kind of pulling it out of the bag at the last minute, like Bournemouth, Southampton. There's a few kind of hairy moments where we really, you know, seat of the pants stuff came good right at the death. And uh, this season, it's yeah, we're we're sort of doing the business without um, setting the world on fire. No De Bruyne, Silva, you know, is injured now, and yeah, we roll mercilessly on. I think some of it might be to do with the fact that we're just we're not pulling away as well. Um, you know, what is it? You're still two points ahead of Liverpool, really. You know, that by this time last year, when we were putting this together, we were we were moving ahead, weren't we? Um, and you know, it, it doesn't matter if you win, how many you win by, it's still three points and that's why everybody's still in touch with us. But it? then you look at City's goal difference and they are, pull, I mean, they pulled away from Liverpool a tiny bit at the weekend because they won 3-0 against City's 4-0. And so, I mean, you look again at, at, at just what City's record is this season. Mm. It's, but, it's fantastically good. Yeah, it is. You know, and like, like you said, the goal difference speaks for itself. It's like, it's 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 more than, you know, what most leads have league have in terms of points, isn't it? Um but um, I don't think it will come down to goal difference. It only ever has done once, as we all know. But it's, I mean, what I'm saying is, though, it's kind of like that extra buffer of a. It's like half a point, or so isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Because you, you just Liverpool will know they need to get ahead of City on points, and that's that's that. Um, just looking at, at the game, kind of specifically. I mean, 
it shouldn't be so easy to get into the six-yard box, and yet City seem to do it every every 30 seconds at the Olympic Stadium. Yeah, it's just kind of knife through butter. You've got Sane up against uh, Pablo. I felt, well, I felt sorry for Zabaleta in the I end. I know. It's, it's a mismatch, isn't it? But, I mean, who isn't it a mismatch for when Sane's uh, doing what he does well? It's just ridiculous. I think that's it. And that's watching the goals back is the sort of thing that makes that, that strikes me is that they're all in the six yard box. And uh, we score a lot of goals like that. And you it make it looks easy, Tapping doesn't merchants. it? Because you just think, why doesn't every team just do that sling it in the six yard <laughs> box? And why does every team just create tap ins? Yeah. yeah. Um but I think it's just it's we we just make teams drop so deep, don't we, that mm. we that we can that we can get into the six yard box. to the wall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned Sane, two goals for him uh, in that game. The, the first one particularly, I mean, there was a moment, it, it was so good that, you know, he did the goalkeeper, he did the defender before him, and he did the cameraman because the cameraman, mm-hmm. sw- you know, couldn't quite keep up with the ball. He, like, to have the confidence to be able to do that in the six-yard box and not just think, I've got possession, I'm facing goal, I'll just, I'll, I'll slash it in. Mm. He's just kept a level head, little dummy, rolled it in the corner. Yeah, like, sang to the extreme. <laughs> Wasn't just a finish what, what, though. What was that? I was just my Steve McManaman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, just like he just the so cold blooded. Like he just uh, like the whole like you say the cameraman, the defender, the keeper, probably half the crowd, all were looking where they expected it to go, and then lo and behold, my favourite bit about that was not just the finish, but you know the way he just sort of turned away. There's such a sort of I say this all the time about him, but there's such a sort of grace to his movement. It's just ridiculously good to watch. It's like watching a leopard do ballet or something. It's ridiculous. He's, he's one of these, and you don't often get because he's not—he's not short, is he? He's quite tall. He's about six foot tall, isn't mm. he, And you know, Ronaldo is another one. Is he's not not on the, quite that level yet? But you know, when a big player moves like a small player, mm. that type of thing. I know what you mean because because they shouldn't be able to do it, but yeah. they do. And what can you do? That's the other thing. When you know, when it's a big lad, you can't you can't kick him out of touch, can you? He'll, he'll just run through you. As yeah, well. yeah. He was set up by Raheem Sterling, who I mean, at this stage last season, we were sitting in this studio talking about how good he got, and yet he seems to have still managed to find a level above where he was. I can't. Like, is there anywhere else for him to go? Can he get any better than this? It doesn't make sense to me. Is he the first name on the team sheet for the front, in the front three? He probably is. I think isn't he it? is. City are just not the same team without no, him. No. They're not. It, it, like last season, you would want him always hugging the right hand touchline, coming in for those tap ins when Sane was out wide left. This season, play him anywhere. Play him anywhere across, across, the, across front, the front three. Yeah. Mm. And, and you always, I can, you can see why Guardiola loves him so much because you, you've always got to deal with him, haven't you? Even when he's having a, you know, not a, not a, even when he's not as clinical, he's, he's just occupying. Yeah, well, yeah, like him. like for England, where he's he's been underappreciated for a long yeah. time, but perhaps coming good with the odd goal there that'll uh, get people on side. But yeah, people don't appreciate what he the problems he causes. Imagine playing against him; it's an absolute nightmare. Can't even grab his arms because they're too short. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> has he got short arms? <laughs> well, he sort of. Yeah, he sort of runs like a raptor, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Does he? T-Rex, yeah. yeah. Never really. I never really noticed all that. I mean, if if raptors can finish like that, then you know, then then fair play to them. I mean, in, in terms of uh, just look at the defense uh, a little bit because it's been Stones and Laporte for most of the season as as the first choice, and then Otamendi got uh, a, a rare start at West Ham. Um, 
you can I, I I think you can kind of see Guardiola's thinking there because as we've talked about, Chris Arnautovic is a, a bit of a battler. He's a you know he likes the the physical side of the game, mm. um, and you kind of feel like Otamendi's the one to deal with that out of City's four defensive options in the centre. I don't know. I mean, Laporte's a unit. I feel yeah, I feel so. sorry for Otamendi because he's uh, he didn't exactly do much wrong last season. Laporte's played every every minute of the Premier, the Premier League. League. Yeah, and, and do you know what the 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 difference. I mean, Stones was good for a lot of last season. The reason why he's gone up a step this year is because he he seems to enjoy putting it about a bit now, John Stones. And he, you could never say that about him before. So it's probably. I don't think it's probably right to say Otamendi's like the battering ram. Yeah, but yeah, he he had a good season last year, he's, so he can consider himself unlucky. He's probably just mate. He's probably just trying to keep players fresh because he's going into a busy Christmas period. Mm. And he, he needs to be sharp when he's called upon because Stones could get injured at any point. Right, well, the uh, the win at West Ham led City on to a 2-2 draw in the Champions League with Leon. This is what Pep Guardiola had to say after that game. We are so delighted and so happy and big compliment for the team. One of the toughest teams I ever faced. Uh, physicality strong. Uh, the contract is incredible. So we reacted so well after um, 1-0 and after uh, 2-1. And we are in... 80 final. So this is the first target. We were close last game against uh, against uh, Shakhtar at home, and, and now uh, try to 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 get a point to finish first in the in the group stage. But it's so important in this month to be to be in the 80 finals. So Champions League is so complicated. Uh, important teams like, for example, Inter or Tottenham or Liverpool or Napoli or PSG will be one of them will be out. Uh, that means how, how tough it is when you play against Lyon, how complicated, how good team they are. So all three teams, that's why all the games was 2-2, 2-2 a lot of times because the level was quite similar, all the group. Uh, that's why starting how we start, losing at home against, against Lyon, uh, we make an excellent four games. And of course, it's a sign of champions' character to come back not once but twice. Your celebration showed that on the touchline as well. Yeah, of course, because in, in that moment, always you think, how, how, how are we going to react in that situation? And we react with a huge personality. So, and we, 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 we did it. So, of course, the second goal is a little bit in situation in a corner, free, you know. And I went in front of the three guys, the two meters, so I scored a goal. So, football sometimes is unpredictable on that, but uh, we, we were strong in that situation. Leon, I mean, respect to them because they, they'll give anybody a problem in this competition, wouldn't they? Yeah, but the people say, no, the French League, just PSG, PSG. The people all the time say that and he's, they are so wrong. So, always in my career, when I play against French teams, they are so physical. That's why they're a World Cup champion. So, all of them, they have quality, don't lose the ball, they are so strong, they fast and... and and it's so complicated. That's why I give a lot of credit and our our game today. Hear all of our city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Pep Guardiola speaking after the two-all draw with Leon there. Um, the star performer, we, we talked about the defence briefly at West Ham. The star performer was probably Emmerich Laporte, would you say? Mm, fantastic. He's turned into a bit of a colossus, isn't he? And he's got a footballing brain on him. can pick a pass. My favourite bit of that game, well, probably of the game in its as a whole, to be honest, was when that um, who was it at the bar? Yeah, I know you mate. Yeah, the uh, the Leon fellow that had about yeah. nine chances. Yeah, how we weren't being hammered by that point, I've no idea. But the balls hit the bar, and it's going up into the air. I believe that's the nice word. I like that. 
So doing bars shaking, all the drops have come off it. It's spinning up into the floodlight, it's dropping down from the heavens. And Laporte, it's coming over his shoulder, pretty much straight down, on his chest, looks where the defender is as he's chesting it, and then volleys it away. It's just like, that'd be hard to do in a field with, <laughs> on your own with no one looking, never mind in the six-yard box. We've just nearly conceded a goal. There's an attacker bearing down on you. It's a greasy ball. It's Champions League game. You know, a lot at stake, despite what we were saying earlier about group games. But, uh, you know, I, I just think he's absolutely fantastic. That was the best piece of skill I've seen in a, in a long time. I was well impressed. He's quite handy in the box as well, isn't he, when it comes to set pieces? Yeah, yeah, he's got a few of them now, hasn't he? Which I think is, in a weird way, it's again something City have been missing recently, maybe. An aerial threat from, from set pieces, balls. yeah. Yeah, probably. I'm trying to think of the last good one we had. Well, Vinny, when Vinny plays, he provides that, doesn't he? But apart from that, there's not, there's not a great deal. Um, yeah, you can. There was like everyone was sort of talking about Laporte in the run up to the game about how well he's been playing, and he had a bit of swagger, didn't he, about him in the Leon game? Almost mm. like he sort of knew he was like the man of the moment, really. Mm. Um, uh, Which can be a risk, but if you, if he's nailing it, he's nailing it. Yeah. Let's talk midfield, though, because, uh, Gaz, I saw on Twitter that uh, that you mentioned about Phil Foden not getting time. Um, again, he got he got about 90 seconds in the game, despite City's... Well, I mean, we talked about it before, about the injuries to the, to, to the midfield. Surely, I mean, I know this the, that the game wasn't a dead rubber, but surely at some point he's got to play in a game that's not a dead rubber. Yeah, I mean, if you, we needed one point from two games, essentially. So if you're not going to play him then... And he keeps saying he's ready. When are you going to play him? Yeah. He's, he's, he said, oh... You know, from the earliest time, from the tour in America, I thought he was ready. After that, I thought he was ready. Last season, I thought he was ready. He's still ready. Uh, well, how ready is he going to need yeah. to be before you actually properly blood him? The implication is now that he doesn't trust him because that's about as un- or unprecarious a position can be going into a game whereby you need something and he still wouldn't play him. Um and it's almost, I think we're, it's like we're going to lose a player for the season, really. Because I think if he would have played him last on Wednesday and we would have got a result, then that sort of proves to him then that he can play him. But, and then he will play him again. Yeah, exactly. So the next time he's needed, he'll get he'll be he'll be a viable option, won't he? And prove to himself yeah. that he does trust him. But he's not going to put him in, you know, in the middle of a pack Christmas run against Premier League games if he won't put him in last night. It's, Maybe Look, he, he obviously know. Yeah, maybe he obviously knows more about football than I do. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just disappointing, really. With the academy, it, it's just jam tomorrow, isn't it? All the time, you, the, the, there's got they can't all be from Edgerly. Do you know what I mean? That's the, <laughs> I think that's the only thing that's keeping him there. Yeah, it? probably. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, you'd be getting a little bit frustrated by now, especially as I was saying. You know, Pep keeps reiterating how ready he is. Well, I yeah, he'll have. Given his potential, I know this sounds like massively hyping him up. Foden will probably have one eye on the next um, Euros as well, and he probably would want to establish himself. Yeah, absolutely. You see, the you, you see, the likes of Chaloba getting in that squad. Do you know what I mean? He's, he he'd, he'd only be a run of games away from being in the frame for that, and mm. he, he he might be thinking about that. I mean, we could go out to the League Cup to Leicester in a fortnight, and then that's that could be effective. That could be his, his yeah. season over. Yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of of. Uh, how City set up because I mean like instead of playing Foden somewhere in that team Guardiola kind of wedged another attacker in there it didn't really feel quite like it worked at times 
Did it, does that emphasise how much pressure's on Fernandinho? Yeah. Well, he's the... You mean in terms of the only person who can do that job? Yeah, he's one of a kind in our squad, isn't he, at the moment? I'd love to see Dalf have more games there, though. Do you know what I mean? When, yeah. Did when, well for England, didn't he? Yeah. When, in a more central role, if not the same role as uh, we play Fernandinho in. But... Not yeah. that he's not that he's as good as him, but you know, if if you're worried that he's playing every single game because he has to, then you'd imagine that Delph could play in some of those fixtures in that position. I think that's a great shout. When you watch that documentary, they're quite different. They, they rub up against each other, don't they? A bit Delph and Guardiola. They've got you know he's interested. Guardiola's got his head in the clouds, and Delph's just interested in the basics of football, isn't he? So <laughs> you can kind of see them. Maybe you know he doesn't really. He just sees him as. Yeah, he doesn't see him as you know. The sort of player who can do it, yeah. Yeah, The sort of player who can do that. Um, Were you surprised at at City's performance at Lyon? Or is that doing a disservice to how well Lyon played? Yes, I think it is. And I'm going to quote um, one of my esteemed friends, actually, who said something which has stuck with me over the last few (laughs) months. It was you, Gareth. And you were saying (laughs) that uh, you really think the Premier League, and it's uh, it might have just been an intentionally patronising dig at uh, United, but... Basically, the Premier League, we would benefit from the Prem having some better teams that would have a go at us, like like Leon. I can't remember saying that. Well, you, well, you did, but uh, <laughs> I should have just said I made it up. Cause, I think... uh, but yeah, I think we, the Premier League, if it had more teams that were capable of attacking us like that, we'd be a better team for it. Because you, I mean, you, you, look, you look on paper, City against Leon, City are comfortably the better squad. Yes or no? Yeah. So 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 well, when yeah. so when you play kind of head to head, it's not can't simply be that that Leon had a go. I think as well, West Ham had a go. Yeah, but they they're better equipped to have a go. Um, they they seem more they've got more tactical now. They are, you know, predominantly young, strong, quick. I mean, you can't really say that about West Ham. You know, I mean, Zabaleta alone's. Taking the average age up by about <laughs> six years for any, any team, but that's doing him a disservice. But you know what I mean, though. They're, they're better. They're a more slick, well-oiled machine than a lot of what we find in the Premier League. West Ham being a case in point. I think what happens when you play in Europe is the quality of the teams isn't, you know, is is pretty average compared to the Premier. You've only got to look at that when when these players leave Leon. What type of they're not going into a top four, top five Premier League team, are they? I mean, QED like you've, you, they had a couple of United rejects, City rejects in the side yesterday. If you're the you know, obviously that Fakir is wanted by Liverpool, I suppose. But I thought they looked great though. I mean, they look really good. But what? Yeah, but what I think what happens is is because they're in their respective leagues, particularly in places like France and Germany, where the, the quality is overall weaker, they're used to winning every week. Or they're used to winning most weeks, aren't they, Leon? So. You go and play them, and they play like they're a top side, although they're not. Yeah, but we're used to winning every week. But we, we go against them, and we're like, whoa. But do you know what I mean? Like, my point is, is if Leon's players are of, say, 7th or 8th mid-table Premier League standard, maybe that's being a bit, you know, unkind. Yeah, they, don't play like a t- they, don't play, they don't play like a team who's the, which is that's that 7th or 8th. Yeah. Exactly, because they're used to winning every week, and they're used to taking games to the opposition. So when you play in Europe, I think sometimes you're just... You you're, you're playing teams who aren't used to losing, so they they, they play a bit more positively. So I what you're saying is weaken the lower end of the Premier League I can't and strengthen think, the middle. 
I'm not sure that logic works. <laughs> I'm disappointed you denied your own quote as well. To us. <laughs> uh, we brought it up a bit earlier on as well. Um, in terms of City's defence, uh, it's probably the most kind of chances or clear-cut chances City have conceded under Guardiola for, for 18 months or so. And you, you think back to that first season where they were conceding chances because they were giving it away. But this, this wasn't City mistakes that were causing this, was it? Although when you when you look at the second goal, it was it was two straight passes through the middle, and it and it mm. put put the lad straight clean through. And I mean, to an extent, I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and say, are you worried by that? Because clearly City can defend, and clearly they're, they're doing a good enough job defensively. But there's kind of like that momentary lapse there. I'm glad it happened then, because I'm sure Guardiola will have absolutely you know hammered them for that. It was a classic case of just split the centre halves, wasn't it? And we've just been you know singing. Uh, Laporte and Stones is praise. Yeah, 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 and it was as simple as any, as simple as you like. Just split the split the two defenders. One of them thinks the other one's marking. Simple pass. Bosch in. Meg's goal. Did Did you notice as well that they had two the two clear cut chances they missed? We went right up the other end and nearly scored both times. They did it, and that's obviously a tactic that he's obviously told them. Well, give them a chance and then hit them. Well, no, no, not necessarily <laughs> give a, give an easy chance away. But if they've missed a glaring opportunity, that is when they're going to have that. You know, when when they're not going to have their heads right. Mentally, so you yeah, just yeah. Get right up to their end and you know punish them for it. Just kind of finally on on, on the Leon game. It's now a point to uh, to win the group. Um, it sounds like a daft question, but how important is it to get that point and and, and to win the group, or is it a case now of you know they're the through in the Champions League, focus on the Premier League to the other side of Christmas. As a fan, I'm not bothered because it's good to get an easier game, I suppose, in terms of progress. But if you don't, at least you've got a more entertaining game to watch. You've like still got beat what's so, put yeah. in front of you, isn't it? Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. Like the other side of it as well is I think City are one of the best teams in Europe. So That Basel last 16 game last year was hardly a classic, was it? You know, you'd, you'd, maybe, you know, as a fan, it'd be a bit more fun to watch us play a, a, a better side than that. And there's no guarantee either, is there? There's going to be, there's always some decent sides all finish mm. second. And it's that old adage, isn't it? If you want to win it, you've got to be the best teams anyway. Mm. And if we are one of the best teams in Europe, let's go prove it. You'd would rather... You, would you have said if Pellegrini's City had won it, they'd beaten the best teams on the route, though? They'd have beaten Real Madrid? We beat PSG in the... Well, we, it's, the thing about the Champions League, I say this every single time, come on, it's a cup competition. And it's the most prestigious competition, but at the end of the day... It's still a cup competition. It's a cup competition. It's like saying... Who do you think is going to win the FA Cup this year? I don't, you know, it's usually the half the time it's the best team in it. The other half the time it's someone gets a bit of luck in a draw and, mm. you know, whatever. It's, it's just that, just on a grander scale. Yeah. Right, so now that uh, Gaz has deconstructed the Champions League, uh, it's time to move on. Uh, this week we heard that the former Manchester City player and manager Johnny Hartz had passed away at the age of 90. He spent all of his career at Main Road and I've been speaking to football historian Gary James to find out more about his time at the club. He was actually at City from being a, a boy, really. Um, I interviewed him oh God, over 10 years ago now. And um, when I interviewed him, he told me that initially when he joined City, he was actually doing office work as well as being a, a sort of like an apprentice although we didn't quite have apprentices in the same way then um so he said that during the war years the final years of the war he was actually in the office counting out wages and doing admin roles um and then also doing his, his training as well and he had a he had a few sort of stories about that time um but basically he remained with the club from then all the way through and so well, throughout his life, really. What was he like as a player? It's a funny one, this, because 
he was very modest and he quite often when when you talk to him about his playing career he'd sort of play it down as if he wasn't a particularly good player but but to be frank to be a a regular in the city team of the mid 50s in itself was a, a major achievement you know the, the city the city team of the mid 50s won the FA cup in in 56 um and was regarded as a great team but they also finished i think it was fourth one year um and probably doesn't get the praise that it should get and Johnny Hart was a key part of that the problem was he was very unlucky with injury and so 1955 for example um, he fractured his leg uh, about a month before the FA Cup final missed the Cup final uh, and and that seemed to be the way his career went actually you know whenever he got a great opportunity something came his way, came his way and, and that, that sort of damaged it but he played into he actually played just into the 1960s when I interviewed a few him a few years back, he actually said that he was often the sort of the boo boy, if you like. Fans would 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 sometimes give him some abuse that he didn't really deserve, and and it knocked his confidence. He said so much so that one one game he, he wasn't actually picked, um, and he was sat in the main stand uh, watching the game, and there's a bloke two seats away shouting abuse at a pitch, and he said, "That Johnny Hart's a waste of time." And Johnny Hart said, I was sat two seats away from him. I wasn't even playing, but, but I still got the abuse. I was going to say as well, it's funny that you that you should say that he was unlucky with injuries when the big moments came along because his, his managerial career was short-lived as well through uh, through ill health. He should never have been manager. I mean, it, it, it was one of those things where Malcolm Allison left and City needed a manager. And it, it, Johnny was a great scout, great coach, great sort of deputy assistant or whatever. He was because he was good at working with players and he was good um, at, at, at all of that. But as the front man, it just wasn't him. And and when when I spoke with him, he, he, he said that he didn't want the job, but he had to take it because if he didn't take it, he'd probably end up being forced to leave the club anyway. Because, you know, if you turn down the manager's job, somebody else is going to come in and, and you're on your way. Well, certainly you were in those days. So he took the job. And he just, it just wasn't him and it affected his nerves and he was really, he suffered with ill health. And, and, you know, I've interviewed lots of people who were around the club at the time, like Eric Alexander, the chairman and and director from that sort of period. And and he was saying the moment he took the job, you could see the burden was on him. Um, However... He was responsible for, you know, a few a few good moments, if you like. And and although City struggled, I mean, he was only there, what, six months, if that. Although City struggled at times, you know, it, the, the football he played was great at times as well. Um, and, yeah, I just, I just think, had he been able to stay as a number two, that would have been fine. And just finally, where do you think he stands in, in kind of like the, the, the City greats, if you like? Because he never played in a major trophy-winning team, he'll get forgotten. You know, he, he will get forgotten about, it. and it's a real shame that because that's the way um, football works. You know, if you appeared in the, the, the final eleven, but, but I think because of his longevity with City, because he was one of those quiet, unassuming sort of guys who just got on with the job, uh, I, I think he, he deserves great credit. And I think he should always be remembered as as one of the sort of the sort of cult figures that you have at City that, that are always there that, that 
helped to define the club and helped to make the club what it is. You know, anyone who was involved with the club from the 1940s right the way through until, well, until his final years, he, you know, he's a key figure behind the former Players Association. They, You've got to give them credit and you've got to say these, these guys are uh, legendary figures, really. And it's just a shame that he never got that opportunity to play in the cup final. He, he once told me as well, actually, in 56, he had a chance of playing in the final and Don Revy was was sort of fit and Johnny played a part in suggesting that Don Revy should play instead of basically Johnny Hart, which I think that says a great deal about the man really, that he puts the the the, the needs of the team ahead of himself. And unfortunately you don't get too many people like that in, in professional football. And Johnny for that reason was a remarkable man. <laughs> support the show by becoming a backer patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast Gary James talking to me about the late Johnny Hart and uh, then time to look ahead at uh, the coming games with Bournemouth and Watford um, two Premier League games back to back it's kind of like the nitty gritty of the season really kicking in now uh, what what challenges do these two kind of present because so far <laughs> they, they, they've they've not had bad seasons so far they, um, they both look alright well, um, I've, I've seen more of Bournemouth than I've seen Watford, but I've seen a bit of both of them, and yeah, they've, they've both look solid teams. Um, I like I like watching Bournemouth. Yeah, um, Bournemouth being at home might help us a little bit. Um, if we're away, I think we'd probably be, be a bit more concerned about the result. Um, but they've got, particularly Bournemouth, they've got. A clever manager, he'll probably give us one or two things to think about. They're not going to. You know, the thing is with these teams, but they either come, they either concede in the first ten, don't they, and then that's it, or they'll give us a few things to think about. Um, Grow into. But it. Eddie, he won't put he, eleven men behind. Yeah, the Eddie Howe's not going to sit behind the ball, is he? No, um, no. So, we're, and I don't know. I mean, I can't but, see any problems at home with Bournemouth. I just can't see. No. It. No. I must admit, the one thing that does wind me up about Bournemouth is is the number of players that they have with traditional English one-syllable names. Even if they're not English. <laughs> Even if they're not English. I know, like, like Josh King, it just like, doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. how, how, are you just stockpiling these players? What, what is it? Mm. Um, I mean, let's look at Bournemouth, because like generally they've been open and entertaining <laughs> when they can be. Um, that Two things with that. You kind of get the feeling that that plays straight into Guardiola's hands, and he wants because he wants teams to open up and and kind of have a little bit of a go. He like the whole thing we were talking about in years gone by about about other teams being drawn forward with City knocking it round the back. But also on top of that, they like Gaz says they'll present some problems. Yeah, but as he also said, which I agree with, the home advantage is a big thing. Uh, Bournemouth, I just think uh, we're just going to have too much for him. I think I think it used to be the case that we would want to draw teams out, but we spoke earlier about the amount of goals we're scoring in the six-yard box now because we're pen, pinning teams back and we can just do what we want. I think we've solved. I think we've cracked that a bit. So just let them. So just so pin them back. Don't let them come out. I think. Sort of thing. Well, because because uh, City have always been in, in a weird way, despite dominating the ball. City have always been a, a, under Guardiola a good counter-attacking team. They they hold the ball at the back and then counter-attack through the. Through the lines very quickly, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't think that there's a I don't think there's a style with which you can beat City with and say that's the way, that's the way you beat them or that's the way that's what they don't like. You you can stick men behind the ball or you can play on the counter, but if you're going to beat City, you've got to do it well. I think that's the difference. Really, tend to need some dodgy offsides as a rule. <laughs> yeah, or, punch, or you punch the ball in the net. And get yeah, yeah. yeah, 
But I mean, ultimately, the the answer is when City drop points is that it's generally City haven't been at the best. It's not the other. Yeah. Like, however good the other team have played, if City are at the best, they win the game. Yeah. But well, then maybe, we just, of... just put that Wolves game, didn't we? We were quite, we were all right in that day. At the end, we, we drew one all. But that begs the I question. I thought City that... were a bit under par in that. Game. Yeah, but Probably why is that, is that not taking still. credit from the opposition for making you second guess yourself, play less well than you normally do because they've knocked you off your stride because they're a good team? Yeah, I mean, what is it? it's simple. I mean, we are the best side in the league, aren't we? So if we play as well as we can do, then we'll we'll win. That's, uh, yeah, but I, I don't think, think there's a way. I th- and, uh, but I don't think there's a way of playing against us which makes it difficult. You just have to be good at what you're doing. I think yeah. as well you have to lump on this. You have to lump on Raheem Sterling to score against Bournemouth. He, he loves, does, he loves a goal yeah. against Bournemouth. Mm. Yeah, he got the hat trick in his first year. He had a couple. Uh, he obviously got the one we sent off um, in the last minute last year. So there's, you know, he loves a goal against Bournemouth, and City love a goal against Bournemouth. They they, they tend to. I think it's the last three or four, uh, three or four games they've put four at least four past him. Or so, so I mean, you, you kind of expect goals in that one. Watford, on the other hand, though. Um, been a bit, a little bit hit and miss this season. I thought they gave Liverpool a good game last weekend, and then somehow came away with a three 0 defeat. Mm. I wasn't aware at the time um, I first looked at the the fixture that it was <laughs> a Tuesday, uh, a Tuesday night. I could just imagine Vicarage Road, grubby, wet, slanting rain coming in. Do you it mean- could be trickier than than. Than what your score be. prediction that you sent to me is. Yeah, basically. <laughs> we'll come on to that shortly. Do you, remember, yeah. do you remember that night game at Watford about ten years ago? And I think it was. No, I remember it just being one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. I think it was a nil-nil actually. This is yeah. There. It's like. I remember they they drew one all there when one all... Ben Foster was it Ben Foster just give the ball to Darius Vassell? I can remember never do that. I can, <laughs> I can specifically remember an awful sitting in a pub watching an awful evening game against Watford away. Even yeah. our own players, I would say, never give the mm. ball to Darius at times. <laughs> no, God love there him. was one. I mean, there was one a few years ago. I, that was I, I can't remember if it was a, a weekend game in December, so it was dark by the end of the game, or if it was a night game where Aguero scored. Uh, a, a cracking header right at the end. Right. Um, it, a off scored an own goal to kick it all off, and uh, and it was Pellegrini City, and they showed rather unusually for that that season a bit of grit and determination to mm. to come back and win it. So it's 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 not a, an insurmountable task for City there, but it'll be a tough one. Did mm-hmm. did a hard team. A lot of grafters in there. If you don't start well, it could uh, it could end in tears. But you know. I've predicted a win for that, and I think we will win. But yeah, it's got to you've got to start well, start strong. Don't let them get any faces. Don't be intimidated. Um, I, I felt a bit sorry for. But I mean, just kind of straying away from the point slightly there. Does City deal better with with intimidating places these days? I think you they look do. at look, look at how how they did at Anfield earlier this season. Mm. They survived the opening ten minutes, and then we're in control of the game. I thought we got hustled a bit at Leon, and I felt a bit sorry for Dave Silver. Um, I've never, it's like, you know, you see him go from strength to strength in what is like the autumn of his career, uh, and he just looked a little bit harried. It was like, I don't know, it was like watching a a bird of prey being mobbed by crows. You got this sort of <laughs> graceful thing just being like, attacked can I, can I just ask if, if all your analogies are animal based? <laughs> Most of them, I like yeah. That, yeah, yeah. Okay, just, yeah. I just, I want consistency. That's all. I, no, every, every, every analogy now, I expect to be some sort of animal-based uh, analogy. That's totally fine. 
Oh, oh, not, not awful do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Sorry about that. I do apologise. <laughs> we, we talk about the squad injuries before. Is there a danger that that, that City squads are getting a bit thin at this stage of the season, especially in the midfield? <laughs> I'm still laughing at DME. <laughs> um, it, it, what, but you didn't injured? mean that. It doesn't count. No, well, that's what made it even better. Uh, City have been strong against all plans this season. You know, like we were saying, teams that sit deep against teams that, that try and play a bit. So, like... Answer me honestly now. Is there anything that bothers you that the opposition might do? Is there anything that do you ever get do you get concerned about what the opposition would do, or do you just think oh, I'll probably win? Um, do you have that arrogance yet? Because it's not something that that kind of sits well with City fans. I don't think. No, he feels sort. He feels a bit like oh god, am I sounding a bit patronising here, saying we will win? Do you know what I mean? It's like it's an odd position to be in. Still, it feels uh, somewhat alien, but. There's certain teams you worry about. I mean, even rubbish teams um, like United, you still think <laughs> like they might do something to to upset the apple cart. Yeah, I mean, it's not as if even with City that you can get in amongst us, because I even think when it turns into a bit of a battle, we come out on top of those as well. But, you know, when we sort of tackle start flying in and it's time to... City like a impose scrap. Yeah, like yeah. A scrap. We're not soft, when, it, when, it, when it goes up a bit, we, we, we're good at physically imposing ourselves back on these games as well. Um What's been the worry about this year? I don't know. The goal of giving away penners. That's 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 pretty much the only thing that's got us into trouble. <laughs> that's just because he gets bored. Yeah. I mean, that was, yeah. you know, there is a, an account, isn't there, for Bored Edison? <laughs> which is off the back of that. But it must thought, be. It must you be. went on Twitter. I just have people telling me these things. He has like, people print the tweets out. For yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone brings me, like, tweet printouts on a, on a silver platter. And Ladies I, and gentlemen, uh, we I had, deign we had, to read the odd one. We are desperately trying to find out what Chris Higginbottom's <laughs> Twitter is because he keeps it very coy, and I'm fairly sure he is on there, but he doesn't say it. Um, let's, <laughs> let's move on. It's time to say big congratulations to Jonathan Smith. In our third season of the charity bet, John's finally managed to win with his 4-0 prediction for City's game at West Ham. That's taken the total for the season up to £495 for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester. It's courtesy of William Hill, who are giving each of our panel a £10 correct score single on all of City's games. Two matches this week, starting with Bournemouth. Uh, Chris, you were you were uber confident with this one. Go us, uh, what, tell us what you got. I went with 4-2 <laughs> to City. I've, I like the way Bournemouth play, and I do think we're quite capable of conceding a couple of goals to them. I hope you're right because that's 33 to 1 for uh, 330 quid for the Christie guys. What you, what uh, what did you go for? Yeah, I think they'll score 2-1. 2-1. Uh, we'll was... win 2-1. Yeah, then. yeah. Well, uh, 2-1 is uh, 11 to 1, so that'd be 110 pounds. I went for 3-0. I was I was feeling quite confident about this one, mm-hmm. uh, which is 11 to 2, so 55 pounds for that. Uh Watford away, I went for 2-0, which is uh, 6 to 1 and 60 quid. Uh, guys, what did you say? I just just think we one all for no other reason except for you know we haven't dropped points for quite a while so uh, it, it happened last season though where they went on about yeah. not, what was it, about three months without dropping points so yeah and nobody ever everyone always predicts City wins on here don't they so I thought I'd mix it up a bit mix it yeah. up a bit uh, yeah. that's ten to one so uh, hundred quid and uh, finally Chris yeah as I say before I knew it was going to be a a Tuesday night pea super I went for three <laughs> uh, nil. Which, you know, if we start well, quite capable of that. 3 nearly 7 to 1, so £70. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information about responsible gambling, visit begambleaware.org. Now, uh, I think we can just about hear from Howard Hawking. Hello? Hello? Oh, yep, the light's on. I send you this short message from the year 2030. 
and somewhere south of Bishop Stortford, close to where National Tyres used to be, near the A1060. I'm underground naturally, it's not safe to go out there, not since the Great Purge. FYI, time travel for audio clips was invented by Professor Brian Cox in the year 2027 AD, hence why you can hear this message. There are four of us here in this bunker, surviving on a diet of baked beans, spam and our wits. I dream of chicken balti pies and a half-time bottle. Those days are over. We hear screams from up above sometimes, but we can do nothing about that. Gunfire too. A gang tried to lure us out by playing Mumford and Sons on a constant loop, but we stayed strong. I mean, we almost cracked, but we stayed strong. We opened the security door and all our lives would be at risk. We must look after ourselves now, what few of us are left. Anyway, there was a reason for this message. I wanted to tell you about what happens in the future and warn you to get out whilst you can. Switzerland will be my tip, or the Dordogne, though only if you can get hold of a bottle of Chateau Le Grand Fond 2012. But I'm waffling, and I don't have much time. You know some of this already, naturally, the signs were there. Our set of football fans set off a catalyst of events that ended with a post-apocalyptic wasteland, like Middlesbrough on a vast scale. Blues blamed Brexit and that Trump guy, but we knew they'd only play a small part in all of this. He's still president, by the way. God, it's crazy to think how it all started. The smallest spark created the biggest fire. Why didn't we take the accusations seriously? Why did we abandon our moral boundaries in pursuit of cheap, oil-soaked success? I wish I could go back in time like this recording and change it all. I really do. It all kicked off in 2018, of course. Some leaked emails were published by a German newspaper. Der Spiegel, was it? And the world lost its shit. Barry Glendening called City fans cowards and suddenly everyone was interested in human rights, thousands of miles away, just as Manchester City got really, really good. This was just one of those coincidences you read about now and again. A British man who was definitely innocent, I mean he was British, so he must be, was sentenced to life in the United Arab Emirates for spying. Things got pretty hairy from then on. He was soon pardoned, but the damage was done. Then City fans started taking credit for his release. After all, it had been our moral duty to raise the issue of his incarceration. When this same fan base was later nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, there was uproar. This is when the shit really hit the fans. Yep, the battle lines had been drawn. On one side, carrying out their own morally acceptable version of the Crusades, was the British press, now fully briefed on Middle East geopolitics and legal systems. Sports washing, they called it. Liquid football, we called it. On our side, a merry bunch of mustachioed gentlemen from South Manchester and human rights abuse deniers who saw only joy in what their club's owners did. As Tim Booth commented, we were living in extraordinary times. Everything snowballed very quickly. There were small demonstrations on the streets, organised via Red Issue's Twitter account, scuffles at matches, social media spats. Barney Roney had to enter a witness protection scheme, his safety no longer guaranteed. If only City fans had risen as one and demanded action. There was talk of a delegation being sent over to Abu Dhabi to have a word with the sheikhs. Some names were mentioned, though I never found out if the rumours were true. Bernard Halford, Martin Lewis, Benjamin Mendy, Nolan Liam, Kevin Kennedy, David Nooney. But no, they, we, did nothing. We just wanted to watch David Silver, tactical fouling and drink dark fruits at half-time. What's wrong with that? Others disagreed, though. We had a moral duty to intervene, to say no more, 
to demand the UAE model itself in UK democracy, a leading light for the rest of the world for centuries. Just ask the Northern Irish. I did write a strongly worded email at the time to Sheikh Mansour, but I never sent it. Didn't know his email address, to be honest. The world was disgusted. Questions were asked of us in the house. Soon City fans were being held accountable for all the world's ills. They were even blamed for fishing quotas in the North Sea, X-Factor results and smaller wagon wheels. Yep, City fans had inadvertently triggered a Western Spring, which was like the Arab Spring, but with added sarcasm. Everything spiralled out of control. You see, you might not know this yet, but it turns out Sheikh Mansour was testing City fans. While he was lying down meekly, he felt he had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. Obviously, they didn't call it carte blanche in Abu Dhabi, as English is not their first language. We should have spoken out, though. Mansour would have listened to Dave from Marple and Alan from Hazel Grove. He'd have seen the air of his ways if we'd just spoken up. He'd have remodelled the region in the style of a Western democracy. Slashed benefits for the needy, eradicated legal aid for suspected spies and others, wiped out half the police force, set up food banks across the Emirates, sold off Etihad so it could be run better privately, and thus finally be accepted at last as a fit and proper owner by those whose acceptance he craved, such as Stan Collymore and Duncan Castles. But by remaining silent, the city fans were implicit in what followed. So the sheikhs turned up the heat. The UAE rulers put the price of oil. They jailed a hundred women for inadequate reverse parking. They bought every other Premier League club and ran them into the ground, except United, which he left untouched. Sheikh Mansour also spread a rumour City wanted to sign Peter Crouch. United nipped in and signed him for forty million. So how did we get to where I am today? Well, my battery is running low, so I'd better be brief from now on. Once City had killed football for everyone, forever, society itself soon unravelled. Petrol was too dear now for most, so stranded in their home cities, social unrest was the inevitable conclusion. In the hot summer of 2020, the hottest city's records began. A City fan celebrated their team's third successive Premier League title, and a League Cup too. By then it was known as the Haribo Fantastic Cup. The country burned as riots hit all major cities. City fans were held responsible for the breakdown of society. Not helped by Sheikh Mansour purchasing Tesco, renaming it Umtilat, which is Arabic for bitter Bertie. Memory moustaches were hunted down and beaten, and anyone who defended the UAE was ostracised. A thousand city fans were left barricaded in at a Blossoms gig due to rioters outside baying for blood. Eventually, lead singer Tom Ogden started a rumour on Twitter that the United Megastore had a half-price sale on, and the crowd dispersed. But by now, law and order was a thing of the past. Gangs roamed the streets, fans openly smoked on the spirals at city matches, and I feared for my safety, as did others. On my CB radio I heard that there was a safe haven south of Cambridge, so under the cover of darkness and the haze caused by a burning city academy, I headed south faking an Irish accent and hitching my way to here, Bishop Stortford. I cancelled my subscription to Private Eye and set my guinea pigs free. My information was wrong though, anarchy ruled here too, but by selling my collection of Oasis CDs I gained entrance to this bunker. There was once 20 of us here, but now there were just four. The future is bleak, if there is one. Blue Moon Podcast still transmits as a pirate radio enterprise somewhere off the coast of Anglesey and provides me with a link back to my old life. There's been no football for five years now though, not since the new communist government seized power in 2024. 
The purge of intellectuals, doctors and city fans happened soon after. I thus send you this message as the last hope for humanity. I know I shouldn't mess with history, but how can I make things any worse? So to any city fans that this message reaches, please, I beg you, act now. Stop going to matches. Once rival fans see empty seats, we can expect to gain their support. Send a strongly worded email to the club. Downgrade your season ticket from Platinum. Bring your own food to matches. Don't enter cities and competitions. Leave the cup schemes. Unfollow City on Twitter. If possible, get yourself a Guardian column so you can bemoan the state of your football club. Leave matches before the 90 minutes are up. Do what you can. It's not too late. Act now and the world might turn out to be a better place. If you don't, well, you've got blood on your hands. And you'll never make it to Switzerland in time. Most of Europe has fallen now too. And to those that do act in future, thank you Blues. Now I guess it makes no difference or else I won't be here recording this message. Or would I? I don't understand time travel to be honest. Anyway, thank you again and good luck. Oh and one last thing to all you Blues. Put all your money, everything you've got, on City to beat Bournemouth this weekend by the score of... This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Howard Hawking there. Now it's time to move on to Ask the Panel. This is the bit of the show where you send in your questions at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or bluemoonpodcast.com. Drop us an email through the website there. Uh, first up is Andrea Porter on the email. She asks, how do the allegations of wrongdoing in the UAE affect your support for City? Should City fans be criticised for following the team and ignoring the accusations of human rights abuses? Should City fans be criticised for following the team? Um, I, mean, I mean, there's, there's been yeah. a lot of attention this week. Basically, I, I, it's kind of started with Piers Morgan saying City fans should walk out of the Etihad. I didn't even realise he said that. Oh, well, if Piers Morgan said it, I'm against yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, they're not um, yeah. mutually exclusive. I mean, can you, can you have an opinion on an allegation and still support your football team? I would suggest yes. The, the ownership aren't the club. Are they? So, the way I would sort of look at these things, we, we, we as fans, everyone, you know, people listening to this, were here before they were here, will be there after they are here, because they, you know, they won't be around running the club forever. So, the, so they're, I suppose the argument is I've, if... I've not got any connection to them any more than I had, you know, John Wardle or whatever, you know, in a personal sense. They aren't... John Wardle wasn't the club, the UAE, you know, regime that are running the club... club Aren't, likewise aren't the club I think you're always going to support the club no matter what it's, it's, it's what you do it's in your blood and you can't be criticised for you know whatever the owners do outside of the club I think where it becomes or dangerous or what they're alleged to have done outside of, yeah yeah um, where it becomes problematic is when you have people actually cheerleading the the owners for other things which they've done so if you want to take the credit for the fact that they've supposedly rege- regenerated swathes of East Manchester, then you are then also on the hook for anything else which they've ever done because you're you're that you're owning that right, rightly you? or wrongly, yeah, yeah. So but, you can't choose different bits of that bandwagon to exactly sort of kind of thing. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't like the Manchester thanks you banner, for example. You know that kind of stuff. It, it, it's it, well, for one, it's a bit needy, and and secondly, it's. You know, it's then sort of an associating, you know, us directly with the ownership, and is, is you know, and I think I suppose. The, I mean, the other side of it is as well, like 
we three and we've been City fans for for thirty odd years or so. You do, you don't just switch off that association. No, you can't. And this this whole topic has just got so overheated over the past sort of couple of weeks, and it's all all the discussions in bad faith as well. But you know, it's it's all just just. You know, ninety nine percent of the discussion through, it, particularly online, is just sort of rooted through sort of tribal yeah. nonsense. You know, and, and people just kicking the horn. It's just like Piers Morgan, for instance. Yeah, I can't have said his name twice. <laughs> on, you know, I, I, I think that. I mean, the other thing that kind of ties into this that I that I wanted to to kind of touch on. I don't. I, I don't know if it's if it's kind of like that what aboutery, but the question that a lot of City fans ask is, is why is it about City now? That's, Why, like, because yeah. I mean, you look at some like the the Glazers supported Trump. Where did Abramovich's money come from? The, like, like, I mean, you you don't you, you don't you never heard those discussions, and you hear this discussion now with City. Is it? It's, it, it, it's it, almost as if it's just because we're really good. Is that what you're saying? But I, I mean, yeah. But I'm str- I don't want to stray into that kind of. Um, well, it's okay in one case because you didn't criticize it elsewhere, sort mm. of thing. But Fo- football's got progressively, particularly since the early nineties more and more well whatever word you want to describe it. i was going to use the word grotesque but you know i, I don't know it's gone kind of stratospheric hasn't it? it's kind of <sighs> slipping away into the there's yeah you hit all these thresholds don't you so uh you know in 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 the mid 90s the clubs went public you know about 10 you know a dozen of them floated and it's like oh what next and then it was a five million pound transfer fee oh what next and then you're moving through the more money in the game then it became 50 pound season tickets and it became um, you know, uh, oligarchic owners like Chelsea have, and now you've got literally state investment in 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 clubs like City. And it's like, oh, what next? And you're right; it can feel as a City fan that you're sort of being victimised because this is the current. You know, it's it's just the latest it's threshold, just the latest, latest benchmark. But all those all these things do call have caused sort of minor sort of moral panics down the line, and we're the last one. We're the latest one. But if you are to say sort of. Why us? Why is it a problem, problem now? I mean, is it really a problem that I mean, like you, you can get so caught up in these, and particularly online, all these sort of comments. But I don't think it does land really. I mean, it's not. So the De Spiegel stuff was all the stuff last week, wasn't it? The British papers didn't really run with it, did they? It wasn't really front page news over here. It, and at the end of the day, the vast majority of people are just bothered about. What happens on the pitch? Exactly, watching it over weekend, or you know, or or even like the off the pitch stuff, just just stuff which is just a lot less, just more frivolous. I don't really think that the the Spiegel stuff cut through, largely because the the British papers didn't run with it because there wasn't like a um you know uh, a smoking gun or anything with, with 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 a lot of it. But at the same time, I don't think it's just it'll be something else next time. You know, football keeps. This is what happens when you, you know, you have the biggest sport in the world and the biggest. Um, uh, How sustainable is that? Though, when you, do you think it like will it eat itself in the end? Is there a? Do you foresee like a a point where where it becomes the black hole where it collapses in? Yeah, sort of implodes thing. and just destroys itself. Or I mean, but you could as argue, a model. It's changed, doesn't it? And like it, it's. Football's irrevocably changed, so it's gone from something which it was, say, in the eighties, where you know, um, you could, a provincial side could put a team together and you know dominate it for a few years. But even then, you'd have people saying, "Oh, it wasn't like in my day in the fifties, not yeah. football." Yeah, but but football has the Premier League slash Champions League era has turned football into something else, mm-hmm. and it's not going back. Um, 
But I think that I think a lot of people are quite naive about that. And it's the world's most popular game played at a professional level. There's a lot of money flying about. That's what's gonna you know, it's the same with all the other top sports. If you want if you want the Corinthian spirit in football, then go and watch some non-league. It's fine. There's there's something to be said. You know, there's nothing. To, you know, there's a lot to be said for it. Mm. But I don't think you can watch the very very top level of football and then start clutching your pearls when people are getting paid lots of money. You know, because <laughs> it's what happens, isn't it? You go, you know, the Fury fight at weekend. People, you know, tens of millions of pounds are getting moved about to make that happen. That's what happens at the top. You don't. Of the you sport. don't go. To, you don't go to the cinema and go. Well, I enjoyed that film, but Brad Pitt earned far too much for yeah, that. Or even, for that, that role. That, that, that's, games and movies are really good analogies because these things have millions of pounds poured into them as well. You know, it's you know the Premier League is the AAA title of, of football, and that's what's gonna. And it only has that money in it because people really want to watch it. That's why they pay it and. Mm. But sort of yeah. Ad infinitum. But just sort of going back to the the the, the question. I think, you know, you're, we're, we're not responsible for whatever our owners do, but you can make yourself responsible by trying to apologise for them, which is what some people do, yeah. Final question <laughs> comes from Simon Collins on Twitter. He asks, what role did Roberto Mancini play in changing the mentality at City and laying the foundations for what Guardiola has built on since? Uh, I have to say before we get into this that, that uh, Mancini is still my favourite City manager, so if it gets a bit gushing, <laughs> that's why. Fair enough. Yeah, he's, he's the one that did it, isn't he? Um... We were just you know, saying before, he's, he's, you say he's your favourite city manager, he's probably my favourite ever person connected with the club. <laughs> um, and it's not just, you know, the, the, all, all those watershed moments are, were under him, weren't they? Um, you know, in, 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 in sort of making us believe we're the, the, the type of team that could go on and win things. Um, and I think... We were always typical city till Mancini, weren't we? <laughs> But yeah. I mean, that never went away. It just kind of he just he gave them the belief to 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 that they could compete. Do you know what I mean? They they I always got the impression before in in that first half season when they when they missed out on the Champions League to Spurs. I I always got the impression he was kind of fighting with the mentality as the of having like so many players and the fans and 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 the club as a whole was just happy to be there and competing. You know, you... And he made it. Well, that's not good enough. We want yeah. we want to be the winners and we want to get to the point where we are winning things. He was so good at bringing the entire club with him as well, and not just the team. I think that's the other thing as well. Like he 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 genuinely more than any manager of well by far sort of understood what it was to be the, he, you know he, he constantly talk about how fans go to work every week so they can go and pay to go and watch you at weekend and he wouldn't you know he'd he'd made he he made the players responsible for themselves and um in a way which Pellegrini didn't after actually Pellegrini protected the players far too much and it all went sour because of it um but he just sort of yeah he he, he sort of he just made everybody there responsible for winning and sort of made it their sort of duty to 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 win and um yeah change change everything I, 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 honestly that and the day he comes back and this is the sort of shame really is that i mean he's Italy manager at the moment isn't yeah. he um and as a result i'm fully behind Italy <laughs> the next <laughs> international tournament oh yeah yeah uh, oh the lads just get the lads back together <laughs> get the band um uh, what was I going to say? And it's a sort of—I sh- feel, I feel like it might be a bit of a shame if he comes back managing a team, as opposed to the first time he come—he comes back, he should have a proper welcomed out proper onto well. the pitch. And yeah. I know it was really—it ended up sour, didn't it, between him and the owners? But like, um, 
even with what Guardiola's, you know, obviously it's never what's on the pitch now is unprecedented. I don't think I could, you know, as a fan, I could have a relationship with him like the one with Manchester. Even that advert he took out on your left, it was just like yeah, just such a class, wasn't he? Really, really nice thing. Just a lovely thing to he do. Had, he, he's, he had all that sort of. Um, the positive Italian stereotype of sort of suave, debonair style, bit of grace about him, touch of class. Like you say, the advert just endeared him to everybody even further. Um, and he had he had a bit of steel to him as well, didn't he? It was like oh. a sort of iron fist and velvet glove. He... That last 10 minutes against QPR where he's just swearing at the entire <laughs> yeah, team yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing. I wonder how many curses are still on <laughs> uh, people's houses from that day. But he, but, he, but it, it's not just that. It was like I, I can't, I, I can't kind of emphasise the point enough. Think back to the the semi final with United. Mm. There was the point day. where what a day. But but that, that, that's it. <laughs> there, there was the point where as fans go into that game, and I mean, I, I was actually in New York for that game, so I didn't, I, I had to watch it from the states. But as fans go into that game and what and getting ready for watch that game. I don't think I've ever been up until the derby the season after where the where the title was on the line. I've never been that nervous before a match, mm. and the way the team played, they were just comfortable. He got he, yeah. he calmed everything. Okay, United had the, the couple of chances really early on, but he calmed everything down, and he just got City playing in a way that previous managers on the big occasion had never managed to do. No, yeah. and you could see in the way United responded to City's sort of attitude on the pitch. They were frustrated. Skulls put one of his uh, stood through his abletters. Yeah, they were just even they, they could, they could see it happening, couldn't they? They could see it happening before their very eyes, and they hated it, and that made it all the more, you know, that is, relish worthy. Is that a word? It was just, it was just absolutely, yeah, great performance. You can you can pinpoint it all to that day. Yeah. Like I remember going to the. I remember being relaxed at the Stoke final. Do you know what I mean? Much more so, M- than, more so than, the, than you yeah. really should have been. Yeah, it's yeah. like, we've done it. Can we have our cup now? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Stoke. Sorry. It's still quite a tight game as well. Oh, if Joe Hart doesn't do that, is it Ken Wynn Jones? Ken Wynn Jones one on one. Yeah, yeah mm. that's it, isn't it? That's, that's you know, it's back to square one. But uh, it did just feel that's as if everything just sort of changed completely. Um, that, that semi. And we were so good that day. And it was, but like I said, it was, a, it was as a club that day. There was such a great atmosphere. I mean, obviously, you lads weren't. You know, you said you were in New York, but um, you you kind of felt it. You kind of, and it was him. He was leading that club from the front, Mancini. Just yeah, loving to bits. What I think says a lot about the job he did is I don't think any other manager could have done that job. Um, he had the credentials. There was there was talk at the time that City wanted Mourinho. There was talk at the time mm. that uh, that I mean that the question was always was that a lot of people were asking was who the hell is Roberto Mancini? Why have City gone for him? And... I remember I remember when he was announced, and I remember where I was when he was announced. I was in uh, <laughs> a sushi restaurant in <laughs> Spinning Fields, and I remember looking at my phone because it was like. <laughs> It's weird I remember these things. And I remember just thinking, because the writing was on the wall for, um, for, Hughes. for Hughes for a while. And n- nobody ever talked to him, me or myself included. But I remember it just being very much like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, and, you know, I know that he, he'd won the league three times within it before then, but you had to put a bit, bit of an asterisk next to those. I knew him uh, more as a player, to be honest. I remember oh, him as a player. player. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Sam. But... Uh, no quick piece of trivia on him as well. In terms of chronological reverse chronological order of city managers, he's the last one to have played at Main Road. Played for Italy under twenty ones. 
Is that right? Played for Italy in the twenty ones at Main Road. I was going to say, didn't he have a brief stint at Leicester. He's not the last one to play for City, is he? Because Guardiola had a, didn't Guardiola have trials? Yeah, the trial. Yeah. 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 But uh, but uh, I asked Guardiola about that a, a, a few months ago, and he said uh, it's when because I I like I dropped that question in a few times in press conferences, and he said uh, he, he kind of addressed the room, said, "Guys, guys, guys, I was here for like five minutes." <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, it didn't work. But uh, but Roberto Mancini is is the one I always go back to. Can't help it. Right, well, uh, well, that's it for uh, for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much uh, for listening. If you want a little bit more on this week's patron show, we're putting some things that annoy us into Manchester City Room One Hundred One. That's available for two dollar a month backers. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast for more information. Thank you to my two guests for this week. Uh, the yawning. Chris Higginbottom <laughs> I've kept you up late I apologise no not at all sorry for yawning you weren't <laughs> supposed to see that thanks for having us and uh, Gaz Burnish Daydream thank you very much for your first show of the season have you enjoyed it, enjoyed being back uh, yeah it's, been, it's like I've never been away <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I apologise for that as well uh, I've been David Mooney we'll see you next week take care the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast